Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for the precious children and the new life that we see amongst us. And we, we long to see more of that. Spiritually, physically, we want to see, God, new life flourish and grow and you be glorified in and through it. And as we seek to do that, as we seek to advance your kingdom and advance the gospel in this this area of the Metroplex, God, we ask that you would open doors for us. We ask that you would provide. We ask that you would bring your kingdom to and through our lives. And even here this morning, as we we open up the pages of Scripture, I pray that you would stir our hearts, God, that, that we would shake off any complacency, God, any weights, any uh, uh, anything that's hindering us from running the race that is set before us. We invite you here. Help me in my weakness. Would you speak through me? And speak to your people. May you be honored. May your people be helped and encouraged and built up. And I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We are in a series on Philippians. And last week we looked at the first part of Philippians chapter 3. And we looked at marks of a true worshiper. What does it look like to be a true worshiper of God? And we talked about one who is a true worshiper rejoices in the Lord. One who's a true worshiper puts uh, no confidence in their flesh. They don't, they glory in Christ Jesus. They worship God by the Spirit of God. And they value a relationship with Jesus more than anything else. And so we talked about that last week and, and we've, we've been kind of following some of these themes throughout the book of Philippians as we're going through this verse by verse, themes of joy, themes of the gospel, themes of partnership, um, themes of spiritual progress and growing and progressing and moving forward and what God has for us. And in this passage here today, the apostle Paul gives us his perspective on the Christian life. What does it look like to, to live the Christian life, to live between what the theologians call the already and the not yet? What does it look like to live out the gospel, to advance the gospel, to live the Christian life in this space between the already not yet? I'm going to explain a little bit more about what that is if you're not familiar with that term. But go, let's go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Paul says this, he says, Not that I've already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Brothers, join in imitating me. 
Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So here's where we're going this morning from the text. That the Christian life is a process of becoming all that God has saved us to be. Our progress in the process doesn't come automatically, but it requires great commitment and effort from us. Okay? The Christian life is a process. We're on a journey. One of the books that my wife and I have read to my children is called Pilgrim's Progress, Little Pilgrim's Progress, okay? And most of the book is about after little Christian becomes a Christian. He has this burden on his back and he meets evangelist who tells him how to get rid of this burden at the cross and he becomes a Christian, but that's just the very beginning of the story. There's still the whole rest of the story. And Christian's on this journey to the celestial city. He's on his way and he has all kinds of challenges that he faces as he's on his way to the celestial city. It's a classic. It's by John Bunyan if you're interested in that, that, that narrative, that story. And, and for, for, for kids, uh, the little pilgrim's progress is very helpful. Even for adults. I like it personally, uh, myself. But the Christian life is a life of progress. It's a process. It's, as Paul describes it, it's, it's like a race, like a marathon. It, it's a journey. It's a journey. And when you become a Christian, you haven't crossed the finish line. You just started the race. You just began. You become God's very own people. And then you have this process of living out your identity, living in practice what God has made you positionally before him. There was a survey done at a leading seminary. The seminary was seeking to find its weaknesses and deficiencies as a seminary and course correct where needed to improve as a seminary. And they wanted to find out from their graduates, from their alumni, what what's what's the one thing you wish that you had better training in while you were there at seminary? And the most repeated response to that question was how to live the Christian life. These are people who spent time learning Hebrew and Greek. These are seminary graduates who spent time learning systematic theology and church history and how to exegete the Bible and interpret the Bible appropriately and accurately, how to communicate the Bible effectively. And most of them said that the number one repeated answer was, how do we live this this Christian life? How do I live this out? 
Because I've learned a lot of good stuff that's helpful, but but I really need help in my spiritual walk in this journey with Jesus. And you know that there's something I think that that communicates to us that, that we can see in what Paul tells us in Philippians 3. Is that the Christian life is full of challenges. The Christian life, no matter how well trained we are. Or how seasoned we are as God's people, as saints. There is going to be struggle till the day that we die. There are, there are going to be things that are hard for us to do as we follow what Jesus calls the narrow and the difficult way that leads to life. The Christian life is not the easy path. It's the difficult path. But let me just say this is a... Pastor John Piper says, it's not a joyless one. Though it's difficult, though it ha- it's full of its challenges, and it's the harder way to go. It's, it's the way of not taking the shortcut. It's the difficult path. It has its challenges, yet there is joy in the midst of it. And there is strength and grace for us to live it out, to walk it out. So it's a process. Um, we shouldn't be discouraged as as we're struggling through this process, especially as we see other seasoned saints who are further along in their training to become more like Jesus. We shouldn't be discouraged by our own weakness and our own struggle because God is working in us even through our our struggle. God is doing something, as Paul already said in Philippians 2, verse 13. Well, in verse 12, he said, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. And so Paul in the book of Philippians here, he calls the Philippian Christians to action. Not to live on autopilot and automatic. Not to coast through their Christian life. But to live intentionally, diligently, giving themselves to the very purposes of God, the very thing that God has saved his people for. And so let's just look at this first little section here. This is Paul's pursuit of the prize. In verse 12, he says, Paul, this is the apostle Paul. He had met Jesus. He saw Jesus. He encountered Jesus. And he, and, and might I remind you in the very beginning of this chapter, he has quite the resume. As a, as a Jewish leader, he was well trained. He was, he was a disciplined person. He was a zealous person for the things of God. And, and, and we saw last week that, that Paul counted all that stuff as garbage compared to the excellencies of knowing Jesus Christ, his Lord. And so he goes on and he says, not that I've already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul lived in the, 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 the time of the already not yet, just like you and I do. There were some things that had already happened in Paul's life. And there were some things that hadn't yet happened that he longed for, that he sought diligently that they would happen. Okay? Now notice in this verse there there are some there are some alreadys and there are some not yets. Paul specifically in verse 12 says he hasn't he hadn't obtained something. 
Uh, so I think we need to look back to the, the previous verses there to get some insight to that. Uh, what he hadn't attained yet in verse 10 and 11, Paul said, uh, he said that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, check this out. Paul is saying here that he hadn't arrived Paul was saying here that even though he was an apostle, Paul was saying that he was still a work in progress. Okay, I heard uh, just about uh, J.I. Packer just this week, uh, and I've heard this before. He's in his 90s, a godly man who wrote the book Knowing God, a classic, right? And even in his 90s, he still struggles, all right? So get it out of your mind that there's this place in this life that you'll reach, that you're not going to struggle with sin or irritation, your flesh, other people, right? There are going to be struggles in this life, and there there is going to be room for you and I to grow and become more like Jesus. There is, as long as we are here in this life, there is going to be room for us to know Jesus more intimately and more accurately. Nobody has the corner of the market on this. Now, I would say this too. I think Paul did know Jesus. And I think if you're a Christian, you know Jesus. Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is eternal life. That they may know you and, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Okay? We are not, and Paul was not, striving to earn eternal life. Paul was not striving to earn his salvation by his own efforts. And he wasn't calling the Philippians to do, the, do that either. He told them to work out their salvation with fear and trembling and two, two weeks ago, I mentioned that how Paul describes salvation in his epistles as past tense, present tense, and future tense. So we have been saved. Okay? So if you're a Christian, you've been saved. You have been saved. You can say, yeah, I've been saved. Okay? But Paul also says, we're being saved. Okay? That's sanctification. Okay? Have been saved, that's justification. That happens, that's a one-time event. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you respond to the call of God. You hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins, that he paid the price for your sins in your place. He absorbed the punishment for your sins and my sins on the cross. He went to the grave. He was resurrected from the dead on the third day. And you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. You believe. And by faith, all your sins are washed away. And you get the righteousness of Jesus Christ credited to your account. So that when God sees you, he sees righteousness the righteousness of jesus and god the father has a smile towards you not because you strived enough and worked your way up enough to get that you have that just like just like these two baby boys that were dedicated and presented before the lord here this morning they have the smile of mom and dad not because they started cleaning the house and doing chores yet 
They haven't done any. They just create more right now. All right. But they're, 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 we're going to train them though to do chores as soon as they're able, right? But, but we don't love them for, for what they bring to the table. We don't love them for what they bring to the table. We, we love them because they are our children. And I think there's a lot of Christians that need to get this. All right. There's a lot of Christians who mix up their justification and sanctification and they feel like they need to strive for that and try to earn that. But the Bible says we can't. It's grace. Right. And so we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We don't work for it. I'm preaching my sermon from two weeks ago now. I'm sorry, y'all. So so we have been saved. We're being saved and then we will be saved. Justification, sanctification glorification okay that's what the theologians that's how they describe this what paul talks about here and this passage has uh some of each of those elements in them notice in the second part of um well actually before i go there let's look at what paul is pursuing here so he's in pursuit of the prize and notice that he says that he is pressing on so he uses that word it's it's He's using athletic imagery. This isn't the only time Paul has done this. He likes to use uh, things within the culture to illustrate the truth, the spiritual truth that he was talking about. Um, in his day, there were there were athletics, there were uh, Olympics, there were um, athletes that that trained diligently. Uh, there were runners and in other other kind of sports, um, but he uses that that term "press on." I press on to make it my own. Uh, and then uh, verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do is I for, forgetting what lies behind straining forward to what lies ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. So what was it that Paul was striving for? He was striving. He was straining. He was exerting his energy and pouring his life out for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we saw just a pre, in a, in a couple verses before that, he wanted to know Jesus deeply and intimately and accurately. He wanted to know him more. He wanted to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his resurrection. And Paul longed to experience that resurrection. And he gets to that at the end of these, this, the, uh, verse 20 and 21. He longed for that. He longed for the day when the hindrances of this life no longer keep him and hinder him from knowing Jesus more intimately and accurately. He longed for that. He longed for the prize. He longed to see the Lord face to face. Paul uses language like in, in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 12. You know, he says, let us run the race that is set before us. Uh, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I just want you to see this picture here of a runner straining to cross that finish line, reaching forward to what lies ahead. This is how Paul sees the Christian life. And, and notice too that he does it, he does this all on the basis that Jesus Christ has already made him his own. Okay, I don't want to miss this. This is huge because this is foundational. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. 
We're, we and Paul are not striving to become Christians. We're not striving to become children of God, to, to have eternal life, to have forgiveness of sins or justification from sins. We have it already. So we live in between this already, not yet. The kingdom of God has come already when Jesus came as the king proclaiming the kingdom of God is here. And he demonstrated it's here and the kingdom of God has been spreading and he told his followers, pray your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom has come and it's coming. And, and, and just because the kingdom has come, it doesn't mean we go in autopilot and we wait passively. No, we wait actively and eagerly for the king to return once more. We long for that. And this is foundational for our striving, for our pressing on, for giving our lives for the gospel's sake, because Jesus has already made us his own. Let that sink in. That has been a game changer for me. That that little phrase and that gospel truth in the scripture has broken the strongholds of legalism in my life. I'm already his. I'm not striving to become his. I know who I am and I know whose I am and where I'm going. As we sang this morning, the enemy can... Take what I have, change who I am, I belong to you. When I sing that song, I, I, I have to do some theological filtering here, right? I don't know about you, if, if anybody else has. The enemy can't take what I have. Okay, Jesus said he was, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? Right? So like, we, you would think, well, yeah, he can do some damage, can he? But as we, as we looked at, like in the book of Job, he's limited. Look at me, I'm preaching another sermon over here. I'm sorry, y'all. He's limited. But, but there are, there are things that he, that he can do some damage to in our lives. But everything that he does is filtered. That comes, everything that comes into your life or my life is filtered by a sovereign and a gracious God who has made us his own. And his intentions and plans toward us are good, regardless of what kind of challenges he allows to come into our lives. Amen? We can trust in his sovereignty and his authority. He is in charge, and he's good. And he will work all things together for his good, because we are his. We're, we belong to him, and he takes care of his own. We teach our children the catechism, the first question, what is our only hope in life and death, but that we belong to God. We belong to God. We're his. And that's our hope, because he takes care of his own. We're going to be with him. He's, he has good in store for us. This is foundational for the pressing on, for the striving, for the straining. Also, Paul talked about him striving not in his own strength, but according to the energy that works within him. The grace, the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Colossians 1.29, he speaks about that. And there's some other verses on that. About striving. I, I strive. I, I, I do these things not... Not in my own strength, but according to the energy, the power that works within me. The Christian life is not us girding ourselves up by our bootstraps and trying to, to, 
to, to do it in our own strength, leaning on our own understanding. We put no confidence in the flesh, as we talked about last week, right? True worshipers put no confidence in the flesh. Paul said this, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Do you not know that all, that, that in a race, all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable reef, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. The apostle Paul saw this Christian life as a race to run, as a marathon, as as a fight uh, and he, he uses this analogy. You know, this has inspired me to be more consistent in running myself. Uh, so this year I've been the most consistent I've been in exercise and I got a, broke down and got a membership to, uh, to the gym for $10 a month and I wanted to remove any excuses to run. So when it's too hot or when it's too cold, and when it's too far, it's just like a mile away. I can just scoot up there. I can get a good workout in within an hour and get home. Uh, I don't have any excuses not to go hit the treadmill or go take a jog through the neighborhood. And let me just tell you this. There are many days that I don't feel like exercising. I don't want to go to the gym. I don't want to run. I want to relax. I want to take it easy. I don't want to have to break a sweat. I don't want to have to strain, right? I don't want to feel the burn in the, in the moment. I just want to take it easy. I want to focus on the word and on relationships, on work. And, you know, I just, I just, I don't want to do that, right? And so when I feel that, which is often, it's often, right? Those of you who work out, you, you know what I'm talking, or those of you who try to work out, Know what I'm talking about. And if you got a treadmill in your house, you really have no excuse at all. You have no excuse at all, okay? That that needs to be used for something more than a clothes hanger, all right? Something more to put your clothes on, right? And so, so many times I don't feel like doing it. I don't feel like doing this basic thing that I know is good for me physically, mentally, even spiritually, because I'm listening to worship music, I'm listening to the podcast. It's like, an ex- it's like an extension of my quiet time. This is a little secret that has helped me manage stress in my life. Just work out, it's good for you, right? And so I meditate on verses like this, I think about this, and I think about in those moments when I'm five minutes in or 10 minutes in or I'm a considering going to the gym and I don't feel like it. I don't feel like running 30, 40 minutes long. I just want to stop at 10 or 15 minutes long. I do what Paul talks about here. I press on. I strive. I press through even though it doesn't feel good. And you know what? Before I know it, I'm enjoying it and I'm glad that I press through. And then I get to the end. Or close to the end, and and I and I watch the little numbers on the treadmill, and I think, well, I'm just at you know five miles now, or four, or just just under you know four miles now, or just under five miles now. If I just press through a little bit more, I'll reach four, I'll reach five, or I'll reach thirty minutes or, or forty minutes, right? And so it's like I just kind of push myself because I know it's good for me. And there are things like that in the Christian life that you and I we know what we're supposed to do. We know we're supposed to be practicing these things like prayer. 
like evangelism, like forgiving people and loving people that are not so lovely, uh, uh, stuff like um, discipleship. We know we're supposed to be investing our lives in other people, mentoring them and helping them along in their journey and their walk with the Lord. And many of us know how to do it. We've been trained. We have enough information to step out in those things and do those things. But yet when it comes down to it, we don't feel like it, right? We struggle with that. And let me just say this, that struggle will not go away. You're, you are not going to arrive in this life to a place where some of those things don't have struggle with it, right? We know we're supposed to read our Bible and feast our soul on the, the word of God and, 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 and feast on Jesus, the bread of life and, and grow in our relationship with him. Um, but we have to deny ourselves. We have to take up our cross. We have to press on and press in. And especially when it's hard, those are the times we need to press through and not give up. We have a, I want to invite anybody who wants to run a half marathon with me and Micah coming up December 1st on a Saturday morning. You're welcome to join us. Hey, and if that's too much for you, there's a 5k involved as well at the same race. You can just stop off at the three miles and and get your little prize there. The prize for this half marathon is a sword. Okay? And I want that sword. I think it'll be cool. I think my son will really like that, that having this, a sword. And I'll use it as a, you know, analogy. I'll, maybe I'll use it in a sermon illustration when I preach on Ephesians 6, on the sword of the spirit, right? And, and, and so I want that. But, but even more than that, I just, I just want to be healthy. I want to have energy to do what God has called me to do in this life. And I don't want my physical or mental state to hinder me in doing so or spiritual state to hinder me in doing so. Let's be a people who lays aside every weight and every sin and presses on and runs the race with endurance that is set before us. And, and enduring, enduring the, the, the challenges of it like Jesus for the joy that's set before us. There's a prize. There's a joy ahead. I, when Micah and I ran nine miles around White Rock Lake, I was, we were getting exhausted in mile eight and, and my prize and what I had my focus on ahead was getting back to my water bottle in my car because I didn't bring any water with me. And that was my prize. When I get there, I'm going to get me a big drink of water and get refreshed. If we're to do this, there's a, if we're going to be consistent and faithful in the Christian life, we need to know whose we are. We need to know where we're going. And we, want, we need to know what we have set before us. That will help us. And we need to do what Paul says too here, is we need to forget those things that are behind but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. Some of us are so hindered by focusing on the past, whether it's your past achievements or your past failures. At the beginning of Philippians 3, Paul had some achievements that he could be focused on. He'd be like, man, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrew. I was trained under Gamilio or whatever his name is. I was, uh, you know, I was, you know, all that, you know, he had all these credentials in the, in the, in a Jewish person's mind. He says, that's all dumb. He's not going to focus on that. And then he was, he was a big sinner too. He was a persecutor of the church. While that might have been seen as a good thing in one person's eyes, in, in God's eyes, that wasn't, that wasn't a good thing. That was a sinful thing. He called himself a chief of sinners, right? And so, and even that, Paul wasn't going to let that hinder him. 
He wasn't going to let the pass hinder him. When you're running a race, you will not do very good if you're like looking back like, was that a chocolate bar I just passed? That won't help you finish in good time and and finish. You might trip and stumble because you're looking back at something, right? And so running, we need to put our eyes on what lies ahead. And in the Christian life, we fix our eyes on what lies ahead. And that's what Paul and the biblical authors consistently tell us to do. That's what it looks like to faithfully live within the already, not yet. Uh, the next thing here, I am. we see Paul's perspective here. And he, he exhorts them to receive his perspective. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained, right? So I love this. Paul's, Paul says, Basically, that word mature um, can also be translated, the Greek word teleos or teleo can be translated perfect. It can be perfect or it can be mature. And so there's, some, there's, a, couple, there's a couple different views of what theologians think is, are go, is going on here. But he says if, 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 if you're mature, then have this mindset that, you're, that you haven't arrived. If you're perfect, then have this mindset that you're, you're not really perfect. That you got room to grow, right? So there is some already that has happened in our lives. Before God, we're made righteous, we're clean, we're forgiven, we're children of God, we have a destiny, a future, a plan. But then there's this not yet, and that not yet is is conforming to the likeness of Jesus in our character, in our practice. And that not yet is the resurrection from the dead. We're going to get new bodies. And I'm getting ahead of myself here. Uh, but Paul says, let those of us who are mature think this way. Have this mindset. Don't have the mindset that I'm just going to coast on in. Got my ticket punched. Got my fire insurance. I'm going to heaven. I'm just going to coast on into heaven. I don't have to do anything from here on. Don't, don't, don't have, if you're, mature, if you're a mature Christian, then don't have a mindset of passivity when it comes to the Christian life. Have a mindset of I'm on a journey. And I'm going to press on. I'm going to run this race. Also, have the mindset that you already belong to Jesus. You're already his. And so you're pressing on from that place, from that foundation. And then he says in verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Like those truths that you've already heard and you're like, yeah, I know that. I know I should pray for people consistently. Or Paul said, pray without ceasing. So I know that means pray a lot, right? I know I should pray a lot. Paul models that in Philippians and in, in his letters. He's just this prayerful this intercessor, and he calls us to be the same. We, we know we should share the gospel with people. We know how to do it. We know the basic truths of evangelism, but let's, let's live out what, we, what we've already grasped and what we already understand. You know, it's the things in the Christian life. The hardest things in the Christian life are not so much the things that we don't understand, those theological truths that are too profound and too deep for us to really fully comprehend. It's those simple things that are very clear that we know, like love your enemies. I mean, you don't need a whole lot of interpretation on with going on with that. I mean, that's simple. Love your enemies. But yet it's hard. It's difficult. And thankfully, we have a resource, the Holy Spirit. We have a person who gives us the power to produce that love, to bring forth that love in our lives. And so let's walk out what we already know, what we've already learned. 
Let's hold on. Let's, let's continue. Let's not lose ground. Let's not drift in our Christian walk. What does it look like for you to press on in your Christian walk? Like right now, what are some practical steps for you to press on? Would it be getting up a little bit earlier before work so that you can spend more time praying and more time in your work? Would it be carving out a lunchtime or, or right after work to, to just engage non-Christians in conversations? Would it be to uh, try to try to set up some meetings, some consistent meetings with that young Christian that you just you you, you see they 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 love Jesus, but they need some theological equipping and training? Would it be just like starting to meet meet up with them, or or maybe even just asking if you're if you are that younger Christian, asking somebody else who's more mature and further along in the journey to say, hey, can you teach me some things about the word? Teach me some things about being a dad or a mom or a husband or a wife or or how to evangelize or, or how how to study the Bible more, uh, more effectively, more accurately. Um, so we see Paul's perspective. We see Paul's pursuit. He was after the prize, the prize of knowing Jesus more intimately and accurately and experiencing the resurrection from the dead, knowing Jesus in the power of his resurrection. And then we see Paul says, have this, have this perspective. And you know what? If you got a different perspective, God's going to show you. Yeah, you're going to try in your own strength, right? And you're going to fall and you're, and you'll learn through your, your hardships or you're going to coast and you're going to experience some, some displeasing, difficult things because of spiritually coasting and not pursuing God. And, and you're becoming what you don't want to become. So Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We're to work it out. God has worked it in already. We're not working for it. We're to work it out. We're to live it out, to practice what God has already done in us. Next is Paul calls the Philippians to follow his example. Verse 17, he said, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have told you and now tell you, even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So Paul has already given us several examples in Philippians. In Philippians 2, he points us to the ultimate example. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That though he was God, he didn't cling to his rights as God, but he emptied himself and he became obedient even to the point of death and death on the cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name above all names. So Jesus is the ultimate example of how we are to live. We are called and created to be like Jesus, predestined to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So he, Paul points us like, live like Jesus, think like Jesus. And then Paul says, Follow my example. He mentions Epaphras in chapter 2. He mentions Timothy. These guys had mindsets of a servant. We're going to serve people. We're going to think about other people. And so we got, we got Paul. We got Timothy. We got Epaphras. We got Jesus. And Paul says, look at those examples. Right? If you want to be a, a, a track star or you want to be whatever, you know, you want to learn and train under those who are doing what you you want to do right you want to learn from them learn from their examples learn from their skill and paul 
though he was saying, imitate me, he says, I'm, I haven't arrived. Right? I'm not Jesus. I haven't arrived. I still got room to grow. But imitate me and then imitate, uh, watch, keep your eyes on others, other examples, the other, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul said in another place, imitate me as I imitate Christ. This is discipleship. This is what it looks like to be a disciple. We're imitating Jesus and the Jesus that we see in other Christians. This is what it looks like to make disciples. We're calling others to imitate Christ, to follow Christ by doing what we do. That means we got to do it, right? And we're never going to disciple anybody from a place of having arrived, by the way. So don't feel like you have to get to this certain plateau and arrive in any area before you can start discipling someone or teaching someone certain truths, Okay, I, th- I think that we should we should call people to up to discipleship as we're going there too. It's not that we're we're we've arrived. I think we should practice what we preach, be intentional about it. But we haven't arrived. We're we're going to be more like Jesus. We're going to love our enemies. We're going to share our faith and seek to bring the gospel to every relationship. We're going to do that. We're going to give ourselves to prayer. Because God calls us to that. And so we haven't arrived, but we want to we want to learn from those who are around us and, and who've gone before us who model Christ's likeness. And then there's these people that we don't want to live like, who Paul calls enemies of the cross of Christ. Enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly. They're governed by their appetites. They glory in their shame. Paul said, true worshipers, they glory in Christ Jesus. They set their minds on earthly things. Paul says, we're, our citizenship is in heaven. We're looking for what's coming ahead, right? These next couple of verses. And so Paul, this is one of the, the only places I'm aware of that Paul's writing with tears here. Like Paul's heart is breaking that these guys are enemies of the cross, And perhaps these were Judaizers, the dogs that he spoke about at the beginning of chapter 3, who were legalistic. And they were enemies of the cross. Or perhaps these were just self-seeking people who weren't willing to embrace the sacrifice that the cross demands. And serve other people and love other people sacrificially like Jesus did. But their God is their belly, their glory is their shame, their end is destruction, their mind is set on earthly things. Don't follow them. We know that, right? Call out um, 2 Timothy 2.22. My wife brought this verse up this morning. Flee youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call out on the Lord with a pure heart. We want to run with others who are in pursuit of God, who are in pursuit of progress, who are in pursuit of becoming more like Jesus. So here's our already not yet as well, and I'm wrapping it up. I'm almost, we're, we're, we're going in landing mode here, okay? We've already plateaued. We're going down. We're going to land this plane here shortly, all right? But our citizenship is in heaven, and, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, to be like his glorious body. Paul hadn't attained this yet. Neither have we. I can tell by the looks of you, you haven't attained this yet. 
You haven't got that glorious body yet. By the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. So here's our already is we have a citizenship already in heaven. Our names are written in heaven. We belong to heaven. Though you may be an American or a resident of another country, you have a greater citizenship. And, and those who are, uh, who have moved into this country, you know, there is a blessing of having citizenship here. There are lots of privileges and lots of rights and lots of blessings that come along with being an American. And when people get that citizenship and they've come out of a place of struggle and poverty, it is a really big deal. It's really special. It's really special. And it's even more special when somebody gets citizenship in heaven. When they come to Jesus Christ by the grace of God through faith and they trust in Christ, they receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior and God puts their name in heaven and they have a sure destiny. That's already, that's happened for us. Our names are written in heaven. Jesus told his disciples to rejoice in this reason. Rejoice in this, that your names are written in heaven, not that the demons will, will follow your instructions and be cast out. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Nobody, nobody can take that from you. The enemy can steal other things from our lives, but nobody's going to take your citizenship from heaven. Nobody's going to take your identity as a child of God. That is set and sure, and you can trust that God, by his grace, if he saved you by his grace, he will keep you by his grace. But those of us who, are been, who have been saved by grace, we look forward to the end of our salvation, the culmination of our salvation, namely the resurrection, the glorification. We will get all our hair back, guys. We will have glorified bodies no more aches and pains we will see jesus we will know him intimately and accurately he will make all things new there will be no more injustice and and this is our hope this is the not yet it's come the kingdom has come but there is more to come it gets better for us and we and it may get it may get harder for us before that better comes but it gets better for us. There's a land that is over the way. And by faith we can see it far. For the Father is over the way. Preparing a dwelling place for... Sorry, I'm going country on y'all. I love that old hymn though. There's, there is a land that's over the way. In the sweet by and by. We will meet on that beautiful shore in the sweet by and by. We will meet on that beautiful shore. I think it's this headset makes me feel like Garth Brooks, y'all. So lastly, an application. Be intentional about seeking God and his purposes. Are you intentional about your spiritual life and, and pursuing God? Are you, are you complacent and apathetic and indifferent when it comes to the things of God right now? Refuse to let comfort and complacency hinder your progress. What is there in your life that you need to throw off? What weights? What sins? 
Do you need to confess? I mean, confessing sins is not an easy thing. It's a very simple, basic thing for Christianity, and it's a basic component to prayer that should be done regularly. If we are sinners, then we should continue to confess our sins throughout this life. And so cast those things off, acknowledge that, and then keep your eyes on your future. Saints, your future is bright. There is good ahead for you. The Lord has good in store for you. Amen. I'm going to pray. Kevin's going to lead us in a song, and we're going to respond. We won't spend much more time here. I know I'm over, but I want to give some space for us to respond to this because I know that following Jesus is one step at a time. And some of us need to slow down and take some time to just reflect on what is that next step for me? What does it look like for me to press on, to strain forward? I mean, maybe your your mind is clouded right now with the busyness of life, with with the things that are going on in the world, the news. And and you just you don't have a peaceful mind. You don't have the peace of God guarding your heart and your mind right now. Maybe you're not walking in the purposes that God has saved you for. God has saved us, redeemed us for good works. Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.8, and 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we, verse 10, for we are his worksmanship created in Christ Jesus. Jesus, for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in. God has... Not saved us by our work and good works, but he has saved us for good works. To live like Jesus, to look like Jesus. Amen? And so if you're here today and you haven't come into a relationship with Christ and you want to surrender your life to him as your Lord and Savior, pray with you. If you would put your hand up, let us know. Uh, We'll come to you. We want to pray with you about that and talk to you about a relationship with the Lord but also if you're here and you just, you wanna, you wanna grow in your relationship with him. You're, you're serious. You know him, but you wanna know him more and you've been hindered. Maybe you've tripped and fallen and you need to get back up. The Bible says that a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. And so if you're a genuine Christian and you've fallen, it's time to get back up.